John for some announcements. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. We can say both. It's that special little time where you can do both. So Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. So glad that you're here with us this morning, uh, whether online or here in person. So if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan Ricker. I lead our Sunday service teams here at Church in the Valley and just want to let you know about a few things or something coming up here at Church in the Valley. But first of all, as uh, was mentioned earlier by Victor, if you are looking for song lyrics or if you're looking for the sermon notes today, you can go to civalhambra.com Sunday. And on that is also our connection card, which I really encourage you to fill out. Let us know how you're doing. If there's anything we can be praying for you, we would really like to know that. So please go ahead and fill that out. If you're a guest with us this morning, a special welcome. We just want to thank you for coming. And by that, we want to give you a book to thank you for coming. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough. And so you can pick that up over here at the table where you can also pick up song lyrics uh, as well as a sermon note handout. Now, being almost Christmas time, we're right in that season. We are getting ready for our church Christmas gift. And what this is, it's a time where we come together to put together a special gift above our normal tithes and offerings to really celebrate the great gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ. Is we want to share that love and that gift with others. And what we typically do is we come together and we raise uh, money for local and international ministries. And so this year, 
our goal is $18,000, is we want to raise $18,000 that we can then bless other ministries with. And some of those ministries is Christian Challenge, who a lot of us have been blessed by and who work with a lot of the people here at Church in the Valley. Christian Challenge, Ridgeview Church, Alex Barrett planted Ridgeview Church out here from Alhambra, Santa Clarita Church Plant, Central Asia, Missionaries Around the World, our 17-6 network, Connection Europe, and as well as a local home that really works with uh, homeless women and children. So th those are the ministries that our, our funds are going to be going to. And again, I, I just encourage you to begin praying what God may put in your heart to give towards this special offering just to celebrate the great gift that God has given us. And we'll have more details of that in the coming weeks. We're going to go ahead and collect that offering starting now through the end of January. So there's a little bit of time to plan there as well. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to continue worshiping with another song. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. We just thank you that you bless us so greatly that we may bless others, God. I pray that you would really just work through us today, really changing our hearts, and just work through us this month to bless all these other ministries who are doing your work around the world. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Um, would you stand with us as we sing one more song? And as we get ready for Christmas, this is a song called Arrival. And we celebrate the arrival of our God and our Savior to this earth. Jesus is the maker 
took the stage. All hail the arrival of our Maker. Jesus, we hail you. We thank you for your coming, and we wait expectantly to celebrate this season, Lord. Thank you for embracing this world and for humbling yourself to know what is in the heavens and in the earth. Your love is incomprehensible to us, Lord. So we pray that as we listen to your word through Jeremy, you would speak into our hearts and that it would be more than just a sermon, but that it would be something that actually changes our lives and the way we live. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Jeremy's going to come up and give us the word. All right. Thanks, Victor. Thanks, guys. Well, Victor gave you the bad news. I'll tell you the good news. I'm only doing this for one week. Um, So you don't have to put up with me more than this morning. So that'll be good. Um, I hope you guys had... A good Thanksgiving. Um, we had a really good one with our family as well. Uh, every year, we t- I tend to overeat uh, way more than I probably should on Thanksgiving. Although this year, I don't feel very guilty about it because I figured with the way 2020 has kind of played out, uh, we need all the time we can buy up to celebrate and just enjoy the things that God's provided for us. So I didn't feel guilty after the first piece of dessert or the second or the third. And I kind of lost count after the fourth piece, but I'm sure it ended somewhere around there. But um, this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of uh, apprenticing under Jesus. Apprenticing under Jesus. This is a topic that's really been um, just kind of captured my mind and captured my my heart a lot more over the last several years. Um, I'm sure many (coughs) of you are familiar just kind of with the the idea of what apprenticeship is. And so we're going to look at that in the context of Jesus. Um, but as we get started, I want you guys to, uh, to think about for a second, just pause to think about who is uh, the most qualified, capable, intelligent person in your line of work? Like maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone you've only heard of, um, and they're just somewhere else around the world. Like think about who, who is that? Who's kind of the, the Bill Gates, the, you know, the Elon Musk, you know, Warren Buffett, whatever it is, like of your field? Just think about that for a second. Now think about if after church today, they called you on the phone, somehow they got your number, which would be a little weird, but they called you on the phone and they said, hey, um, I am willing to offer you a personal apprenticeship with me. Uh, You can come and work with me. I'm going to teach you everything I know about all areas and facets of the business, and I'm going to do that, and you get to learn just from me. I mean, if you got a call like that from an expert in your field, that would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That would be pretty amazing. Uh, well, that's essentially what happens in the story of the rich young ruler uh, in Mark uh, 10, verse 17 through 22. And it, uh, this is what Mark records in that story. He says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't give false testimony. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. Teacher, 
he declared, I have done all these since I was a boy. So then Jesus paused and looked at him, and the scripture says he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, the rich young ruler, uh, the, the ironic thing about the story is the rich young ruler didn't realize what an amazing deal was being offered to him. All he saw that was that it was going to cost him greatly, which it would. It was going to cost him greatly. However, the cost was going to pale in comparison to what was being offered by Jesus here. Jesus was offering him the personal invitation to follow him. Uh, he was offering the man an opportunity to learn how to live his life the way he would live his life if he were him. Jesus wasn't trying to, to give this guy a raw deal. In fact, Mark, the writer of this story, makes a, uh, a point to say right before he makes his offer, and says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But the rich young ruler unfortunately went away sad because in his mind, all the stuff that he owned, which the scripture said he owned a lot of stuff, it said that just looked way more valuable in his mind than the offer that Jesus was making. And Jesus actually makes that same offer to each one of us today. Now, he may not ask all of us to sell everything we have, but he, he knew specifically for this guy that that was going to be a stumbling block for him. He wasn't going to be able to follow him unless he sold all this stuff. And so he, being the smartest guy ever, he asked this man to do that. But Jesus offers us that same opportunity to follow him and apprentice under him in all areas of life. And many, uh, as you know, will take him up on that opportunity. Many of you have taken him up on that opportunity. Um, and there's many that will not. I will choose to, to not do that. And in working with college students, I, I work at USC with uh, Christian Challenge, for those of you that don't know that. Um, but in working with college students over about the past 10 years, uh, I'm more and more convinced that a big reason, a big part of why people don't jump at the opportunity to be able to apprentice under Jesus is like the rich young ruler, they don't realize what an amazing offer is being offered to them. When I talk to, to different college students on campus, uh, if they know much about Jesus at all, uh, typically what it tends to get summed up in when you ask them, well, what does Jesus offer? They say something along the lines of, um, he offers a way for your sins to be forgiven. And they think that the good news that Jesus came to preach was how uh, they could have their sins forgiven so they could go to heaven when they die rather than go to hell. And while that is very central to the good news of Jesus, that is not the whole offer. In fact, that's not even the centerpiece of what Jesus talked about in the good news that he came and talked about. So what was Jesus' gospel? Well, you see that in places like Mark 1.15 or Matthew 4.17, where Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or another way of saying it is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is now available to you. The word repent there, what that word means is to change the way you've been thinking about things. Change the way you've been thinking about things. Well, why would he say to change the way you've been thinking? Well, because now there's a better kingdom that's available to people. A better kingdom that was going to require a different way of living. That's going to require a different way of thinking if you want to live in that kingdom than the, the way you're currently thinking of living. People no longer now had to live as citizens of whatever earthly kingdom they were in, um, and that be what determined everything about their life. Their worth was no longer going to be decided by the earthly kingdom that they were in. Uh, their hope and their future was no longer going to be determined by the leaders of the land of the kingdom they were currently in. Instead, people could enter into a new kingdom with a new king, 
God himself and with a new ethic on how to live in this new kingdom, a far better one. And in this new kingdom, even the worst off, if you could call them that, were far better off than anyone in any current kingdom that was in existence or any kingdom that would be in existence in the future. An entrance into this kingdom was now made available through what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins and then rose from the dead three days later defeating death. So what Jesus did on the cross was good news, but it was not the only good news. It was the good news. It was good news because of what it gave us access to, which is an opportunity to live in the kingdom of God right now on earth and then on into eternity in heaven. And one of the main reasons living in the kingdom of God is such good news is because we get the opportunity to personally apprentice under Jesus in all areas of life. Now, why that's such a big opportunity could be a message series in of itself, but that's not going to be the, the primary focus of our time this morning. Um, but I will say this. If apprenticing under Jesus is not something that kind of fires you up or gets you really excited, it could be maybe your, your view of Jesus uh, is a little bit off. Um, because Jesus, what you, what you realize in Scripture when you start to read it is, Jesus is much more than kind of a one-trick pony. Um, you know, he didn't just come to die for our sins, and then after it was over and he rose from the dead and everyone finished clapping, he didn't just go, well, guys, <clears throat> that's all I got. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your life, and I'll see you at the finish line. Um, instead, he offers a lot more than that. Over the last several years, uh, I've gotten in the habit of asking question, a question at USC to some of the students, and I'll ask them something along the lines of, um, if you had never sinned, would you have any need for Jesus? If you had never sinned, would you have any need for Jesus? And, and most people are kind of taken back by that question because they've never been asked that before. Uh, maybe you've never been asked that before. Um, and usually their initial response after the puzzle look gets off their face is like, well, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and oftentimes uh, the reason I think that is is because in their mind uh, they've kind of boiled what Jesus is offering is basically just one thing, the forgiveness of their sins. And their view of God, and kind of painting in broad strokes here, but sometimes the way that I've noticed people will relate to God uh, is what I like to call either sort of the mean old principle or sort of the senile old grandfather way of thinking about him. Um, you know, Jesus says the mean old principle. Um, he's not looking to necessarily enrich your life or help you lead your life better, but he's got the power to make your life really difficult if you don't do what he says. <laughs> so you better do what he says. Um, or Jesus, as the, you know, senile old grandparent, you know, you never speak poorly about a senile old grandparent. I mean, after all, they're your grandparent, you know? I mean, you, you sort of nod and smile at them, and you say nice things about them, but you're not actually going to look to them for advice on how to live life, because after all, you know, what, they don't get it. So you just kind of think nice thoughts about them, but you're not really thinking, this is someone I want to learn from. However, it turns out both of those really are completely wrong about Jesus. Not only does Jesus love us dearly, but he actually is the smartest person that's ever lived. His IQ and his EQ um, really put every one of us to shame. There isn't a subject, when you think about it, there is not a subject or a profession or a type of relationship or really any area of life that he is not the leading expert on. So an opportunity to be able to apprentice under him, to be his student, is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you can trust him not only for how to deal with your sin, but you can trust him with your marriage. You can trust him in leading you and raising your kids and your job. 
dealing with things with your roommates, uh, even your health and your future, which is pretty uh, important on people's minds right now. In fact, if you're here today, um, or if you're listening online, if this is your kind of first time uh, checking things out with Christianity or church, that really is Christianity in a nutshell. That's kind of the crux of the whole thing. You can trust Jesus for everything, everything, including how to deal with your sin, which is one of the big ones. Jesus ushered in the availability and accessibility of entering into and really becoming a citizen in his kingdom. And that's good news because once we step into that kingdom, we get the opportunity to learn from him and apprentice under him and how to live in all areas of our life the way he would live our life if he were us. So how do we do that practically? This is what I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about um, this morning because this is where I think sometimes it can get kind of foggy uh, for people. I know it has for me over the years where um, even if most people, like I said, don't have kind of a view of Jesus like we just talked about where he is the smartest, the wisest, the most kind of relationally adept person in the world. And even if they do and they decide they want to apprentice under him, uh, they're not quite sure how to do that because he's no longer physically here with us. And they're maybe even less sure about how to help other people do that. Um, so in your physical or your digital handout that you have there, uh, there are three words that I put on there sort of as section headings um, that as best I can tell really kind of sum up the process and what it looks like uh, to apprentice under Jesus. Um, and those words are abide and imitate and obey. We have to abide in Jesus, we have to imitate him, and we have to obey Jesus. And while I'm going to be speaking about this more from kind of the personal um, aspect of this, uh, I just want to note, you know, all three parts of this are really to be lived out in the context of community. Um, some of these may be done in groups, some of these may be done individually, but they're never to be done, done uh, just by ourselves in isolation. Um, there is no successful example uh, that I've ever seen in history or in the scriptures of someone kind of living the Christian life solo. Um, there's no lo- uh, Lone Ranger Christians. So all three of these, really, the backdrop is the context of community. Um, so let's dive into the first one. The first one, first part of learning to apprentice under Jesus is how, um, is learning to be able to abide in him. John 15, uh, verse 5 through 7, uh, you want to jot that down as a reference to look at. It says, Jesus, speaking metaphorically, says this, He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So how do we assess if we're really abiding in him or not? Um, Well, as I've thought about it for myself, I kind of came up with basically three questions, uh, three evaluative questions that have helped me to kind of figure out if I'm abiding or not. This isn't everything, but this is enough to kind of get you started uh, in assessing that, as well as if you're helping someone else beginning to grow and walk with Jesus. This is a way you can uh, help assess them um, and help them to assess in their own life. So the first question is this, am I spending time with Jesus? Am I spending time with Jesus? In Mark 3.14, it says about Jesus that he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Before Jesus ever gave his first disciples any assignment or mission to accomplish, uh, he called them to be with him 
um, because he knew that it was only going to be as they spent time with them that they were going to be equipped to do anything that he was going to call them to do in the first place. Among other things, I think what this can look like practically is regular scheduled time uh, alone with Jesus uh, in his word to be able to observe him and to be able to, to learn from him. For me, what this has looked like, uh, it's, it's changed over the years, uh, the, the place and the timing and longevity and how much time I spend. But, um, but some of the things that's always kind of been there as a part of that is it always involves having a Bible with me, being in some sort of quiet place where I'm not distracted, but I don't fall asleep. So in my bed, never works. Um, and then also just having something to jot down notes on. Uh, sometimes it's just the margin of my Bible. Sometimes that's a notebook. And currently, what that looks like for me is I, I tend to do it in my kitchen um, about, from about 6 to 7 a.m. most mornings um, with my Bible and verse cards that I've memorized that I'm reviewing and uh, a pot of coffee that I prepped the night before, which is very crucial uh, to you know, spending much time in God's Word. Um, if you don't prep the coffee the night before, it's not going to go very well in the morning. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I, I learn uh, incredible insights as I'm getting down the word. Sometimes I don't. Um, but as I get the regular time with Jesus, uh, just the, enjoying the fellowship with him and learning from him and just enjoying him, it's kind of my own private date with God, you know, every morning. Uh, and, and, you know, I used to do this. Uh, I used to shoot for trying to do this about five days a week um, years ago. But then it occurred to me one day, there are 52 weeks in a year, which means that's 104 missed opportunities at spending time with God. And I just realized, you know, well, I don't want to miss that many opportunities. Uh, so not out of legalism, but mostly just out of desire and desperation, I decided, well, okay, well, I'm going to shoot for trying to spend time with him every day because uh, I needed his insight and his help. So the first question asked is, am I spending time with Jesus? And then the second question to evaluate how you're doing at abiding is asking yourself, am I practicing his presence? Am I practicing his presence? It's great to have scheduled time with Jesus, um, but the reality is most of our lives are not going to be lived in private moments alone with God. Um, so then, does abiding have to cease most of our life, except for those small bits of time that we get alone with God? I don't think so. Um, we can really take God with us, so to speak, anywhere we go, because we realize that God is always with us, and we can acknowledge and enjoy his presence wherever we are. Uh, some of you may be familiar with a, a 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence who wrote this little booklet entitled Practicing the Presence of God, where he talks about he discovered uh, you can really have a broken fellowship with God, whether you're praying and singing songs in a chapel or whether you're um, doing what he did most of his time, which was washing dishes in a monastery um, by simply practicing God's presence. Well, before I had ever even heard of Brother Lawrence, um, I sort of had my own dishwashing experience when I was in college. Uh, I worked at uh, this cafeteria at the University of Oklahoma um, about 20 hours a week for three years. And a good amount of those hours, I was working in the back part of the cafeteria, uh, scraping food that had dried the pots and pans and dishes and then putting them through this massive dishwasher to be cleaned. And um, if you've ever done much dishwashing, you know it's pretty mindless work. Um, and so, but the problem also, too, is being in this back room, these commercial-grade, like, washing machines were so big and so loud that you couldn't actually have a conversation with any of your coworkers 
It was just like just a bunch of noise back there. And then there were no TVs back there. Um, it was too wet to bring any school notes back there and, and look at stuff like that. So what was I going to do with 20 hours a week with my mind just mindlessly scrubbing pots and pans? Uh, that's when I began to realize, well, I guess I could pray. I could talk to God about stuff, you know. got nothing else to do. Um, and I could begin to, you know, review verses I had memorized and talk to God about those. And so that really got me started on the habit of learning to practice uh, the presence of God. And what I began to realize is if I began to practice God's presence when I was doing stuff like that, I never had to finish the conversation that I started with him in the morning. I could just spend time with him all day. Uh, whether I was walking to class or driving my car or even when I was with people, I could really learn to practice his presence all the time. And I, what I later found out is this really would help in uh, the third area of abiding, which really can be summed up in this question. Am I living out of his power? Am I living out of his power? When we don't practice his presence, um, I don't know about you, but it's easy to forget <laughs> that he's even aware of what we're doing. It's easy to forget he's even around to guide us or help us. Um, and this can easily lead, at least for me, uh, out of just operating out of my own power and my own wisdom. You know, minus the occasional time that I remember something that I read in my quiet time that morning that's applicable to that day. Um, but if we practice his presence, we can invite God into whatever it is that we're working on or that we're doing, um, whether it's issues at work or issues in our marriage uh, or with our kids or friends. I just figure if Jesus is all-powerful and never gets tired, it's probably a good idea to ask for his help and perseverance when you're tired. You know, if Jesus is all-knowing, um, then there's probably not any better study partner than Jesus himself. Um, there were many times in my, in my business undergrad or when I was uh, in seminary, grad school that I would come up against a subject and I would just kind of stop and just pray like, okay, God, I'm having a really tough time here <laughs> understanding this or focusing on this. Um, you are the expert of this subject. You're the expert of every subject. Uh, you created everything that allows this book and these laws to even exist. So would you give me insight into this subject? Um, and he would. And then I started to realize, wait a minute, if I can ask for his insight and help, and things like classes, I bet I can do that in other areas of life as well. Um, and so that kind of began to put me on a road of realizing, I think Jesus is the expert of all areas of life. And turns out he was, whether it be relationships or finances or anything. Um, it was wise of me, if he is the expert in all that, to ask for his help. And I didn't have to wait till I was at my, my wits end. Like, all right, I've exhausted every other resource. I guess I'll ask God. You know, I could ask him uh, early on. Yet for me, and, and maybe it's true for you, for whatever reason, oftentimes that was not intuitive or automatic. That was a learned habit I had to do, learning to ask for his help. Um, sometimes both out of a combination of probably forgetfulness and just pride, um, I would just forget to ask for his help. I mean, I would be trying really hard to do something, stirring over something, even just getting frustrated with something, and maybe even telling God how frustrated I was but all the while forgetting to actually ask for his help. Um, and what I found is that although Jesus is incredibly willing to help me, oftentimes he will wait to help until I ask. Um, it's kind of like my daughter Corey in learning to put on her shoes. Um, what I wanted her uh, to do when she was learning to put on her shoes a couple years back is I wanted her to learn to ask for help. Um, now, occasionally I would just stop and help her um, but oftentimes, I would just tell her, hey, sweetie, like, if you need help, daddy's here. 
would love to help you put on your shoes, but I would wait to help her until she actually asked. Um, and because I wanted her to have the freedom to work at herself, and I wanted her to also learn her limits and to learn to recognize her need for help. And I would tell her things like, hey, sweetie, you, it's, this is, it's not immature to ask for help. It's actually immature to not ask for help when you need it. <laughs> um, and so I'm here to help if you want me to ask, if you want to just ask. Um, and it wasn't a power trip either of like, well, she needs to come to me. No, really, what I want her to realize and what I want my other kids to grow up and realize is to not assume that help is always going to be there and to recognize when they actually need help and to have the humility to be able to say, Dad, will you help me? Sure will. Come over here. I'll help you put on your shoes. Um, and I have it on good authority that God is probably smarter than me. Um, and so I imagine he's doing the same thing with each one of us, wanting and willing and ready and capable to help us but we need to ask um, if we want to operate out of his power. Jesus' brother uh, sums it up best when he says in James 4, 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. States it pretty clearly there. Um, or as Jesus said in John 15, 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But we have to ask. So in learning to apprentice under Jesus, we have to learn to abide by spending time with him and practicing his presence and living out of his power. And then the second part of apprenticeship under Jesus is learning to imitate him. And the main question uh, I found helpful in asking myself and how to evaluate how I'm doing this area of apprenticing is asking myself, am I adopting and adapting the rhythms and disciplines of Jesus' life in my own life? Am I adopting and adapting the rhythms and disciplines of Jesus' life in my own life. If you have a red-letter Bible, um, what, what that means is whenever Jesus says something, it's written in red. And then everything else is written in black. Um, and while I believe that you should definitely pay attention to uh, everything that Jesus said that's written in red, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, I found for myself far too often, particularly when I was reading the Gospels, um, was that I would sort of brush over anything that was written in black and just jump straight to what was written in red. Um, and yet a big key to learning to apprentice under Jesus, or really anybody for that matter, is not just in paying attention to what they say, but it's in paying attention to how they live, um, which in Jesus' case was written in black. And if you're like me, if you've ever tried to really put into practice and obey the teachings of Jesus much without a, and kind of ignoring the way he lived, uh, you've probably found, like I found myself, that's pretty burdensome and pretty impossible to live out on a consistent basis. <laughs> Trying to do, do, do what Jesus said without imitating the disciplines and rhythms of his life is like trying to, you know, imitate your favorite pro athlete uh, on the, in the game time situations without actually doing what they did off the field. You know, I'm sure each of us sort of have a, a childhood sports hero that we like to uh, imitate, you know, put on their jersey, try to do their particular shooting style or batting style or throwing style. And yet all of us have probably been a little disappointed when we found out, huh, just imitating what they did in game time situations and wearing the jersey, I didn't quite perform the same way they did, uh, which seems so effortlessly on TV in their game time situations. Well, why is that? Well, a big part of that is because what allowed these pro athletes to perform uh, in such a natural way uh, was in large part to what they did off the field. Um, 
they lived very disciplined lives off the field. They had particular eating habits and sleeping habits and uh, workout and practice habits that allowed them, when it came to game time situations, to just naturally do what everyone else wanted to do. And, I, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that this is often true in the life of Jesus as well. For example, throughout the Gospels, one, one discipline uh, that Jesus seemed to regularly practice uh, was times of solitude and prayer. Uh, sometimes it was before a big moment of ministry, something that he was about to do. Sometimes it was right after a big moment of ministry. Um, there was sometimes that he did it early in the morning. Sometimes he did it late at night. Uh, one time he did this all night. There was another time he did it for 40 days straight, which I don't necessarily recommend doing initially. You might start with just a couple hours, but, uh, but he did. Um, and one of the things that marked Jesus' life was that while he was always busy doing something. He was never in a hurry. He was never swept away by the demands that people uh, placed on his life, nor was he unfocused, um, nor was he too fearful to do what the Father had called him to do. And I think in large part that is because of those regular times of solitude and prayer when he got courage and focus and help from the Father. And then another discipline, you know, Jesus must have practiced, which isn't overtly stated in Scripture, but obviously had to be true of his life, was he memorized large amounts of Scripture. When he was being tempted by Satan in the desert, he quoted Scripture. When he was teaching his disciples, he would quote Scripture. When he was being questioned by the religious leaders, he would oftentimes quote Scripture. Um, he had memorized large portions of the Old Testament, and that wasn't because he carried around a little pocket edition of the Old Testament. They didn't have those back then. He had obviously taken time to sit and study and memorize and meditate on large amounts of scripture where he could use it in his everyday life. And you know, as I began to read down the scripture, I just figured, man, if the Son of God felt the need to like memorize scripture, I probably should do that a little bit too. And so that's what I began to do. Um, and like this, these are just a couple examples, but there's lots of these rhythms and disciplines you can find uh, about the life of Jesus as you pay attention to them in the Gospels. Um, one way to learn to do that is what I call kind of reading the Gospels with the mute button on, um, where you begin to take some time to focus primarily on how Jesus lived uh, without just focusing only on what he said. And for me, like, one of the ways I'll do is, as I read through the Gospels, I'll just star, you know, uh, every time I come across sort of a rhythm or discipline of Jesus' life, and then I'll go back over and look at those uh, later on. A good resource, too, to sort of supplement that and learning about this area um, is a book by by Dallas Willow called The Spirit of the Disciplines. The Spirit of the Disciplines. Uh, very helpful book on this topic. Um, so see, if all, if all that was necessary to apprentice under Jesus was just knowing what he commanded, God, he wouldn't have needed to spend near as much time as he did with the disciples. He could have just given them a book. Uh, nor would the disciples have felt the need to kind of painstakingly write down all these details um, about Jesus' life other than just what he said. And the results really kind of speak for themselves. Uh, in Acts 4.13, um, I love how this just sort of sums up what the results of what someone's life has sort of looked like as they've learned to apprentice under Jesus through abiding and imitating his life. Uh, the setting of Acts 4.13 is Peter and John, two of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples, they're standing before these religious leaders. They had just been arrested because uh, they had committed a heinous crime of healing someone that was crippled. Um, 
And so these religious leaders are questioning them, uh, asking, you know, hey, how did you do this? What, you know, what's going on here? And Peter, um, very boldly, uh, just basically says to these religious leaders, hey, you know what? We healed him by the power of Jesus. The same Jesus, by the way, that you guys crucified and killed uh, not too long ago, um, which they had the power to do that to them as well, and yet Peter still said it. And then Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These ordinary men who didn't have the fancy religious education, who didn't have the noteworthy, you know, pedigrees, um, left these top religious leaders of Israel, you know, caught with their mouths wide open in astonishment because these men realized, okay, that courage of Peter and John, their ability to heal like they did, the way they act, that resembles Jesus so much um, that we couldn't help but be amazed that, like, these people, they're like Jesus. Um, And the reason for that being is because they had just spent three-plus years learning to abide and imitate Jesus. Um, So naturally, they resemble them. So to apprentice under Jesus, we want to abide in him. We want to imitate him. And then lastly and thirdly, we want to learn to obey him. And a good evaluated question to ask yourself here is, am I choosing to believe what Jesus believed and said to the point of acting off of it? Am I choosing to believe what Jesus believed and said to the point of acting off of it? Jesus said what he said, and he commanded what he commanded because he believed that that was the best way to live. Jesus is, uh, remember, it says in Acts 3.15 that Jesus is the author of life, um, and he is the smartest person who ever lived. So if there was a better way to live, Jesus would be the first person to tell you to take that way. But the blessing and the transformation of apprenticing under Jesus, that doesn't come from just learning information about Jesus, uh, nor does it come uh, from just knowing what he said. But it's in the, the doing and the application of what Jesus said that the blessing and transformation really comes out. And that's really the point of what Jesus' story that he wraps up his famous Sermon on the Mount about uh, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, in this sermon in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is basically giving glimpses of what someone who was to live in the kingdom of God, what their life would be like, how they would act, how they would think. Um, and so in the summary of this uh, sermon in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus tells this story. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So you have these two men. You know, both are building their house, which is just basically symbolic of saying they're trying to lead their lives, trying to build their lives. Both hear Jesus' word. Both encounter the same or at least similar difficulties in life. Yet one obeyed what Jesus said, and their life actually grew and withstood the pressures of life, while the other person heard what Jesus said but chose to live his life his own way, and his life eventually came crashing down. 
So obedience to Jesus is crucial in apprenticing to Jesus, but just trying to obey Jesus apart from regularly learning to abide in him and imitate him will eventually lead to failure time and time again, which is why all three parts are necessary. It's not just trying to obey Jesus, but you have to learn to abide and imitate first. As we learn to trust Jesus and understand his ways and operate out of his power through abiding, we learn to, we get to the point that we actually, over time, want to obey Jesus. And then as we learn to imitate him, we actually, um, and adopt his ways and rhythms and disciplines of life, our bodies begin to become poised in such a way that our natural reaction uh, will be to begin to obey whatever Jesus commanded. Or as uh, the late Eugene Peterson put it, um, some of you guys may be familiar with him. He, he was a pastor and a theologian, and uh, he wrote the message translation of the Bible. Um, he said this, he said, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings the Jesus life. The Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings the Jesus life. Um, so where do we go from here as we move into sort of this next week and the, the last month of 2020? Um, at CIV, we like to talk about next steps because it's a good idea to take next steps. Um, as Jesus said, you know, in John 15, 5, while he did say, apart from me, you can do nothing, uh, I would say it's probably also equally true that if you do nothing, it will be apart from Jesus because he's actually doing something. Um, so we want to take next steps. Um, so if, uh, as I was sharing today, maybe there's something that you, I already said that you thought, yeah, that's, that's something I need to begin to work on. Maybe you've already written down your next step. But if you haven't, let me just give you a few in wrapping up. Um, if you're here today and maybe you've never actually decided to trust Jesus for everything and begin a personal relationship with him and begin to actually learn to apprentice under him, that may be your next step to really kind of accept him as your Lord and Savior. Um, or if you have begun to do that, I suggest begin to look at the questions uh, that, I, that I put under those headings of abiding and imitating and obeying and see maybe one or two of those that you might need to begin to uh, focus on more attention to right now. Um, and so I'll read those again in our closing. It says, you know, are you spending time with Jesus? Are you practicing his presence? Are you living out of his power? Are you adopting and adapting the rhythms and disciplines of Jesus' life in your own life? And then are you choosing to believe what Jesus believed and said to the point of acting off of it? Um, I really do think that apprenticing under Jesus is the greatest privilege that we could hope for. I mean, the opportunity to learn from the master of all things. We, we are going to follow someone. Someone's going to lead our life. So why not let the wisest, smartest, most relationally adept, and the most powerful person ever be the one who leads your life? Um, let me pray, and then we'll invite the, the band to come back up. Father, thank you so much for the fact that um, not only did you provide a way for us to have our sins paid for and forgiven, but God, you provided... Um, a pathway to begin to learn how to live our lives uh, the way you would live our lives if you were us. And Father, um, I pray that we would realize that the scope of that apprenticeship is not just uh, at church on Sundays or in small groups or even just when we're having our quiet times. Um, but God, our whole life, 
is is part of the apprenticeship process god every um, unforeseen trouble and things that come up or things that you want to use to to help us learn how to abide and imitate and obey you god and so i pray that we would i pray that um people uh, both here at church in the valley and around the community would realize more and more god um that you really are the master of all things and there is no one better to help learn to lead our lives than you and um, that we really begin to follow you in that. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. sing to lowly shepherd three wise men seeking truth they traveled from afar hoping to find a child from heaven and falling on their knees they bow before the humble prince of It's only through 
could truly have a life abundant. We praise you that you are here among us, that you came to earth, and that your Holy Spirit dwells in us now. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The one true King has come the Father's only Son came down for all of us to conquer the world with love. The promised turn to flesh, the promised. 
Christmas as we start our Christmas season and we'll see you next week.